Tonight, on the eve of celebrating 2020, ushering in 2021, we reflect on the signs of the times. And I'm taking this opportunity to share with you what I've produced this year. And now I hope it will impact everyone's life in the year to come. In the years to come. Here on The Immortal Typist. Two thousand and twenty has been a remarkable year. What I feel I must do, and I encourage everyone else who's living on this planet with technology like this, is to record your experience, to recall that which was happening, to describe the first year of World War Three. <laughs> Let's just say it. You know, the initial shell shock has not affected us to the point where we are completely aware of how much we've actually lost in a single year. Normally at the end of the year, I I recall now the celebration of lives of people who had passed away and people just don't want to even go there. It's been a tough year. For many people, there's been more focus on death than I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) As sad as that sounds. But in the same light, I was active this entire year. I put all of the energy that I had in myself on paper or on recorder. Otherwise, as you're listening to me now. And it's important for me to at least recognize those gains because it's like a person who's going to the gym all year, you know, really dedicating themselves to it with a solid regimen and continuation without stopping. That's been my discipline with reading and writing. Reading since I was a child, since I became fascinated with symbols at a year and a half. I give that story and no one believes it. Hey, you know, ask my mom and dad, they'll tell you the truth. And they'll also tell you that they never pressured me to dive into those things. I just loved them. I loved symbols. I loved communication. I loved the give and take, the call and response. That was my favorite thing and still is. It's so embedded in my soul that I must continue. This year has been a year for productivity. What's come from it is a collection, a collection of books. And I wanted to go through and just talk about them and to explain the efforts that went into them where I was, because I've actually moved a total of eight times. If you count my first move to Mexico City from the US in a single year, eight moves and it's been hard you want to accumulate things so that you can feel like you have a space where you're not going to have to leave and then you have to go and you realize who are your your real friends your true friends show up when you got to move that's the secret you want to know who your friends are all you got to do is be in a pinch and tell them you're moving and see who shows up and and those are the people that I know are my best friends and they know who I'm talking about because they moved me. You don't forget those days. You don't forget them at all. My best friends know that they are my best friends because they were there for my moving days. And I want them to know that I'm repeating this for a reason to let them know how much I I recognize and acknowledge my love for my, my best friends. I have very few and they know who they are. It's good to recognize them. You know, we're going into the first day of 2021 and um, that day traditionally was reserved for the celebration of motherhood and the celebration of, of women in general. You could consider the first day of the year, March 1st, or you could consider it New Year's Day. You know, whatever floats your boat. (laughs) 
but it's to celebrate this idea that we are bringing things to life. That which has the power to bring things to life resides within women. It's a very special, beautiful ability that I don't think we are in, in touch with nearly as n- enough as, as we should be. And it concerns me. And that is a theme that permeates throughout the majority of my writings. And I see people wielding fire for the first time, not realizing that there is fine print before the use of such things. And it's burning bridges and it's causing a separation between people. When you burn a bridge, you create distance. That distance is hard to travel. You often have to go way off the beaten path to make it across. And I think we need to all just think about that image and say, perhaps we should break before we burn another bridge because who knows if there's another one that's around that is still standing for us to cross easily. We want to be able to connect with one another. I'm talking about people. Whatever differences you find, whether it's gender, whether it is race, whether it is religion, whatever belief system it is that's just saying, this is how I identify, we must please understand that if that identification includes the burning of bridges so that it may light your way, as my friend Tony always tells me, let the, he always tells me when I'm talking about getting angry, not to let the bridges we burn light the way, but if, if that's the intent of said individual, if I've identified you, your reflection of me, please understand that I'm sending you love. I'm sending you love. And I'm wishing for us to have a much better year because this year was hard. I think that we don't give ourselves enough time to connect with the the divine feminine. And I think the divine feminine is largely misunderstood because it's just buried somewhere. You have to really dig through your own dirt to get there. And that's painful. That's painful as the refrigerator goes on. I was having such a good moment. And then noise comes into your life. What do you do? If you're having a great moment and then noise comes into your life, beyond that, someone's grabbing your arm. You don't know what to do. You want to scream. You wish you had freedom. You wish you had movement. You wish you had mobility. You wish you had options. And they're disappearing. That's 2020. The carpet literally being ripped out from underneath all of us who were holding on because we were told this was a magic ride. (laughs) And now we're falling. Who has a parachute? We don't know. Let's look around while we're falling. Everyone grabs onto one another. Start to feel a little bit lighter. Start to feel resistance and gravity not having as much of an impact on you because you're all sharing the burden. And before you know it, everyone's huddling now like a bunch of penguins. And before you know it, again, there is this great reduction of speed and now everyone is beelining towards this very soft landing pad and they all want to get back on the plane and do it again. How interesting. Is life during the golden age? It's all there. It exists the moment you make a declaration that it exists. But very few people are going to listen to this nor one to understand. And it is that judgment that creates distance. It is fire that you wield in your hands, make no mistake. The divine feminine carries with it water. That water is purifying. It cures. It allows vessels to float. It's also very perilous and dangerous for those who are willing to open their hearts and dive, swim, sail, paddle, (laughs) motor on out into the great wild sea, the cosmic consciousness that is the spiritual life. It takes courage. 
And I can also say that a life of the linear path, it also takes a ton of courage. That's disastrous. Don't wait until you're 62 to tell yourself that now you can be mobile. That makes no sense. It's a contradiction. There is no life at 62 aside from that which hasn't been completed and having to do it once again every day. Don't be mistaken. When you wake in the morning, you won't have to go to work, but you're still going to have work. You're not going to be scaling those mountains unless you start fucking doing it now. This is coming from a 42-year-old who realizes that he spent over 20 years making the mistake that's being mentioned in this moment. I can only say it doesn't work because I was in it and it didn't work. Hence, I chose to write. It's not just one reason in particular, but if you're not being treated well at a place where you dedicate a third of your day or more, then it requires some additional assessment because that shit will break you. Imagine what will happen if half of your sleep was ruined every single night. It's going to break you. If half of your workday is horrible, it's going to break you. You can't allow that to happen to yourself because when you get to 62, you're not going to know what to do. You're going to be scared and your heart's going to start to fail. It needs to be conditioned to be strong, to remain strong. It starts strong, but it's got to remain there. So that's why I wrote these books. That's why I'm in Mexico. That's why I had the determination to make it here. People laughing at me the entire time. People still laughing at me. They're just my reflections. All is one. I write it and say it so many times. All is one. We have this indelible connection to one another. There is a constant noise, a vibration that is there in the background to remind you that you are not alone. Even if it sounds ridiculous when you're in your worst rock bottom state, you're not. We're all one. We're tethered. You're out there, far away, but you're coming back. That's the idea. First book I wrote at the start of this year was the Shift 108 Meditation Technique. And it ended up going from this simple introduction and basic Kabbalah and discussing the alchemic numbers that are tied to specific relationships and how to identify your relationship. I know that sounds complicated. It is. The basic premise was to be able to use a technique that was simple, much simpler than what I'm describing, and to feel some sort of relief in that its underlying principle is the rewriting of the specific code that slows us down and makes us feel completely incapacitated and without any hope to replace that programming code with something viable. And I thought to myself, well, it's going to take me a while to explain how I would even be in a position to offer such a thing to people and and not be seen as totally pompous. And so it came to me miraculously as so many blessings have come to me in Mexico when I was walking from La Candelaria to Coyacan, Viveros de Coyacan, which is this beautiful park area. And I talk about this in my, uh, in the meditation book, but I'd like to go into it a little bit here just for the sake of giving you some background. So I'm walking and immediately I'm going through my own developed programmed train of thought, which is, When I interact with people, even when I'm getting close, the moment that I set my eyes on them, it's going to be this challenge. They're either going to be beelining toward me, even if we're walking in a clear lane, you know, they're going to cross over and come right toward me and be staring me down the entire time until I move. You know, perhaps we're going to bump shoulders. Who knows, but I'm going to have to stop in my tracks and I'm going through this entire inner monologue. I'm already setting the stage. I'm already placing in my mind that which I imagine is going to be my ultimate failure. And I'm going to to have to deal with this for the rest of my life. 
It's not going to end, you know? And so this is going through my mind, and I happened to bring with me, I had ordered in La Candelaria when I was living there, I had ordered a bunch of these beautiful Tulsi beads, a mala. And a mala is simply, people are more familiar probably with um, a rosary, which I believe has 52 beads. Well, the mala is an older version of that. In fact, the, the rosary comes from the mala. And it has 108 beads. And so 108 is a very special number, especially in um, Hinduism. It is thought of as a very divine number. It represents the, the infinite divine. And it's a combination of a, of a few different things. You have the number 8, which is included in there, which if you turn on its side, it becomes the infinity sign. 8 represents time in Saturn. If you're looking at 1, you're looking at the sun. And when you combine the two, you get nine, which is Mars and its energy. So basically the, the idea, the principle of 108 in combination with the shift meditation was to accept the fact that we're not going to be still in our meditation. In fact, that is probably the worst possible goal to have in mind, to be entirely still. Transcendental is different than being still. Transcendentation, transcendental meditation, rather, is this process of converting energy, going from one end to the other. And as we see the infinity sign, imagine it's like a raceway and there's this car that's constantly fluxing through. It has different turns and shapes that it has to deal with. It has straightaways and eventually it gets used to the process, but it's cyclical. And so I talk about my, my walk, thinking to myself, okay, I've been in this orbit for so long where I've imagined the scenarios rolling out in my mind as extremely bothersome, stressful, whatever it may be, and they started happening. They started materializing. So during that time, I, I hadn't discovered, this is like 2012, 2013, when I was really feeling the stress from Mexico City, just having moved there for the first time in my life. And adding on top of that, the, the stress of not speaking the language fluently and having to learn that from scratch, I needed to find some form of spiritual connection or meditative practice that would bring me relief. And it was magical that the Satya Sai Baba's, the Satya Sai Baba Center was just down the road where I lived on Agrarismo in, in uh, Colonia... Colonia Escandón in Mexico City. And it was incredible to me that it was just down the road, a half block, the Satya Sai Center. And if anyone goes through my autobiography or has read it, listened to it, or will as it's published, you'll understand what that name means to me and how important my experience with Satya Sai Baba has influenced my life. And what I found from all of that was more of an understanding that we were all connected. This all is one principle. And I went out for like a moment in 2012, 2013. Just one day I remembered imagining a little string being attached to each and every person that I saw then being connected to me. Like little nodes connecting to one another. And I imagined that. These white strings just connecting. You know. And like little nodes for sending electricity or information, who knows, but I just imagined it. And I felt good. And so on this walk, now we're talking in 2019, in the fall of 2019, I started to imagine that in the light of the magic that I had studied. So for the past two years, I'd been studying magic and grimoires, which are magic books. And they have a number of symbols in them. Some depict the celestial alphabet, others depict Hebrew, others are some combination of different symbols. And you're supposed to read them in a specific way for the incantations. Now, in part of this, there is always the alchemic principle, which is more important than any symbols you look at, which is the intention of imagining some situation that is non-optimal one that you find stressful, perhaps leading to the program breaking down. 
in whatever scenario you could imagine, work, life, relationships, friendships, whatever. You imagine this breaking down at a specific point and it's important to feel that, which I never thought to feel before. I was always avoiding this recollection of the pain. And then from there, is, it's to imagine the complete opposite sensation of you having it resolved and there being the best possible result that you could imagine in your mind and to feel it as if, as if it's real happening in the present moment. And then suddenly, the light of a star starts to pass over you and drop into the crown, which is just above the head, passing down through the pineal gland, the third eye, down to the throat chakra, you know, the Adam's apple, and down to the heart, which would be the sternum, the solar plexus. And so it's important to understand that when the light lands there from a magician's standpoint or from a, a, a witch's standpoint, rather, it is the moment of transformation of whatever bad feeling that was into that which nurtures oneself. And you're really feeling that sensation for as long as you need to feel the transition of energy, that transmutation of energy being complete, you know, the completion of a story. And then it expands and it's beautiful, you feel great, and then you let it go. And when I went out into the street, the first person I saw that I imagined beelining for me, I erased it from my mind and I simply imagined light dropping through this person's crown chakra and landing in their heart, this pure spark of light that started everything at the beginning, existing in this person. And when I tell you it wasn't more than a second after that, that their face went from a scowl to a smile. And the same thing happened with the next person that I saw on the street, actually stepping out of the way so I could pass. And then I let this old lady come by to pass me and she said thank you, where at first she was angry thinking I was gonna push her off the road or squish her against the wall, which I'm sure happens to her every single day. I just continued this practice all the way to the Frida Kahlo Park and then from there offering light to everyone to this local chapel and then finally making my way through Coyacan to Viveros and offering into the trees the animals like a true hippie and figuring what the hell I'm just going to try it I'm just going to give it a shot it doesn't matter if it, if it has no effect or if it has the greatest effect in the world I'm going to try it I'm going to play I felt called to it and after I finished counting 108 rounds <laughs> of counting and recognizing life as receiving this beautiful light, this divine spark, I offered light to myself in the same way on the 109th, and I let it go. And once again, when I tell you, walking across the street, the cars now stopped. They smiled, they waved. I crossed, people being courteous to one another, smiles, a general slowing of things bringing us closer to the present moment. Whenever you go fast, you're escaping that present moment. You can't stop to understand what's going on. It's just like looking out the window of a speeding sports car. You're not paying attention to the craziness that's going on inside the car, the sensations, the sounds, the feelings. You're, disconnected to everything. Nothing is able to be recalled. But with this technique, everything is okay. You don't have to worry about whether you're doing it right, whether you're doing it wrong. It's intention-based. And as long as you're thinking of light entering this person, you are offering them the purest source of life, that which keeps us afloat, living strong in the habitable zone, the sun this source of Apollo. We are designed to interact with this beautiful source. Offer it to people. Don't feel like you're interfering. There's no way you could. The sun understands every single programming language that has ever come from it because it comes from the sun. Every language, every symbol, every experience comes from light. 
So as long as you know that and you're offering it, you can move on and suddenly you'll find yourself feeling great relief. That was the first book of 2020. That was completed in January. February came and the pandemic was starting to hit. And come March, it was full-blown quarantine. And at that point in time, I had received a relief fund from a person who offered me some work. I call it a relief fund because it came at the perfect time. And it allowed me to book a flight to Tulum or to Cancun and then going to Tulum because Holbush was closed. They weren't letting anyone in who wasn't a homeowner in Tulum. And so the next viable option was Tulum. And so there was this woman that I had been dating off and on since October of the last year, 2019. I got to telling her that I was going to the beach and she said, well, that's really incredible that you're going to the beach. And I said, wow, you're not offended by uh, my recklessness in going? She said, no. In fact, I would love to go. I said, great, then why don't you come with me? And she said, okay. And she went with me. We went to Tulum. And the experiences that we had there were, were the catalyst for this entire quarantine, quarantine series, this entire series of books that came out this year. So by the time I got back from Tulum, this woman that I was dating was now living with me, and she was there with me every single day. I wrote books one and half of two. By the time I was at half of book two, I went writing book two through book three, all on a typewriter. So books one, two, and three of the Quarantena series are all written on typewriter, on Southworth archive quality paper. So it can't be reproduced, it can't be stolen. It's just amazing. It's amazing technology. To use a typewriter completely rewires the way you think. It allows you to speak in a very eloquent way. Eloquent, <laughs> there it is, eloquent way. I love that. I love irony. <laughs> this is me in my humility. At times it allows you to speak eloquently and at other times it just trips you up for entertainment value. That's a typewriter. You never know what it's going to do next, but it says, go ahead and throw, throw the punch. It's like a punching bag. It could come back to punch you in the face, you know, if you don't know how to use it right or if you mistreat it or if you get cocky. <laughs> so I did that. I wrote books one, two, and three as the pandemic was going on in Mexico City. So it was essentially from April onward to the end of September or mid-September no, actually, it was September 1st, where the third book was finished. And then from there, I was uh, asked to go to Sacramento to write a book on an artist whom I will not name because at this point in time, I wanted to be um, not known because it didn't turn out so well. It was a bunch of promises that didn't lead to um, the truth being delivered. And it was sad. So... That was actually 59 pages. Now they're sitting in Massachusetts. <laughs> and uh, thank you, Tony, for holding on to them. Um, and then from there, I got back from Sacramento and started writing again. And I wrote two books. So I wrote them on my computer. And... The first one, this is how crazy it is. I'm not prepared for this. I have to look this up. Yeah, let's see. I know for sure. I forget the name of it, to be honest. This is terrible. I feel awful forgetting. Oh, yeah. I initially had called this the story to best all other stories. And then... I went into the document just now and I'm looking at it and it says Unsustainable Devilment Book 1 Bootstrap Mongrels by William Vincent Carlton Yo Bootstrap Mongrels Incorporated This is for you is the first line of the book <laughs> It's a fun one This one is uh, 39,000 words 
120, 130, 132 pages. Yes, 132 pages. And that was written first after the typewritten books. So as far as the digital books being written, that was this was number four for the year and the first one digital. And then, if I close this, the next book was called Gomper, which I just finished tonight, actually. Totaling 30,461 words. Page 108 of 109, it says. It's right on the cusp of 108 and 109. And that was a fun one. So, while all of this was happening, too, I also wrote my autobiography. I know this sounds like a joke, like I'm just trolling you guys. I'm not. I wrote my autobiography and made it to, I believe, page 254. And then the end key broke. It wasn't impressing on the page for a while. And I simply thought that this was a problem with the ribbon getting low. Turns out it wasn't. Turns out the end key was starting to become loose on the end of the slug. And it finally came to a point where I was really trying to impress it on the page, literally punching through the page. And it just popped off. It literally popped off of the machine, off the slug. And now it needs to be welded. So my 1949, it's technically a 1949 Smith Corona, um, just Sterling, I believe. It's either a Clipper or a Sterling, I'm forgetting now. Um, I haven't looked at it for a while. It's been away for a few months. So I put it, I put it away because it would need to be welded, this piece, or at least soldered in some really special way. But all's to say, I ordered myself a new typewriter. It's now sitting in the United States. I have to go back to the States and pick it up because the shipping is more expensive than the typewriter itself. So that was a no-go. Anyway, I was able to get to page 254. The end key breaks, the end slug breaks, and at that point I just decided to end, to end the book. I, I, you know, I had no other choice. I ended it. Even though I felt like it was incomplete, it actually worked out being great because it's going to be released after the quarantine books, the quarantena books, and it should have a lot of great info about my life. It's going to be a complete, it is a complete open book. It is um, personal beyond belief. And I have to be careful. I'm, I'm thinking I need to change all the names um, <laughs> for the sake of everyone being comfortable because the topics are not easy. They're not. But necessary to put it out there for the sake of movement of energy, this transmutation that we're talking about, that I'm talking about. So I am now at chapter, just to talk about audiobooks, this is another big project. I am at chapter eight now on the first book of the Quarantina, Quarantena series called Fear on Sale. And chapter eight is called Saturn's Brow. I have made it to this point as far as taking the recordings, putting them into Audacity. I'm using the simplest possible setup that you could use for an audiobook because I want to make an impression in that way. Also, it's because it's the only technology I have here in Mexico. (laughs) I mean, truthfully, but it's actually turning out to be better than I ever could have expected and wouldn't have been able to be produced in this way if I were in a professional studio. And that is exciting to me the type of guerrilla tactics that I've had to do to kind of capture certain chapters and the editing techniques that I had to have to now embrace in Audacity after having used Pro Tools for over a decade is a great challenge. But once again, something I have to do based on technology limitations and it's all turning out to be great. So what I hope to do and what I plan to do is to present to you a few chapters as we go um, in this actual podcast so you can listen to this. That's my plan. You're going to get a few samples. In fact, I'm going to put on chapter one right now so you can listen. And I hope you enjoy it. And when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what these books pertain to and how things kind of turn wrong really fast 
for both Helena Tremont and Zachary Tellen. Thanks for listening to this performance. This is The Immortal Typist. My name is William Vincent Carlton, and I am the writer of the Quarantina series and the narrator as well of this performance. Prologue. Hello, my name is Zach Tellen, and I'm infected, contaminated, contagious. Zach grabs your hand, then he offers it a gentle release. This is one way in which I infect you, Zach says, and there are plenty of other ways. Zach hugs you tight. This is another method of spreading that which was spread to me without my consent, as if I needed it, but had no say in the matter. Zach ends the hug and gives you plenty of space. Zach gives you a kiss on the cheek before turning your head to kiss the other side. This is yet another way for me to spread my infection to you. Zach takes out his cell phone and types out a message. Many do not know this and likely wouldn't believe me if I told them, but this message I am sending right now can also infect you and is extremely contagious. Zach turns away and starts typing these letters and words on his old Smith Corona typewriter from 1947. This machine is responsible for infecting the world since its inception. Before the pandemic we are facing right now was even the faintest of ideas in the minds of the great powers. Zach types more words. And if I were to use all of my methods shown to infect the world with my affliction, I would have infected 250 people in this single day. And if these 250 people were to use my methods, they too would infect a great lot per day. And if this continued without stopping, I am quite sure that the whole world, including the undeveloped counterparts, would all be deeply affected. Don't you mean infected? No, love must be procured, Zach said, one simple kindness at a time. So what is the lesson from all of this that has happened and is yet to come? All it takes is for one person to start talking. And this lesson is over, Zach said. And so if I were to be interviewing myself as uh, one of the principal characters, I would say, so uh, tell us, what is this book really all about? Well, the first book, Fear on Sale, (laughs) I have to laugh about it, but please bear with me. The first book, Fear on Sale, it starts off with this strange introduction that I really struggled with for a while and then I left it and they ended up going back to how I had originally written it for which I thank my friend Katya who I haven't spoken to for a while lives here in the city she read some of the initial pages and and said you know you got to go back to speaking directly to the reader and to just break the fourth wall right away and to make it really the only time that you do it or one of the few times that you do it and so she liked it and I went right back and so what you find in chapter one is this person speaking to you introducing himself as Zach Tellen and telling you that you are infected you know and that these are the ways that you can be infected and then there's a little twist at the end it's kind of cliche but I liked it because I think it's important for people to understand that this is the theme. We're talking about how love is this unbelievable force and that all it does is bond to those that offer it. Um, And it eventually permeates like water and it soothes the soul. And it's this idea that you should hold on to this as the reader and know that you are already infected and that you are loved, that you're being let into this world. You're being invited in and that this world is gonna take you for a ride. <laughs> as it did for me as a writer, I, I went into this not knowing where it was going to go. I knew I had a story from Tulum. I knew that was special and I knew where the twist was going to be, which we won't get to in this podcast, but it's a major one as far as the twists go in this series. 
and it kind of just throws everyone into this really shitty situation that has to be dealt with. And beyond making lemonade, it's this idea of how are we going to overcome these incredible traumatic events each and every time they occur. And eventually, by the time you get to the end of the third book, which is Lilith, A Woman's Tale, that's the title, you'll find yourself understanding how to go through this alchemic process of overcoming that which was traumatic, that which was really painful. And um, I accept that this was the ending because it was what I needed. And I say this with complete humility. I really don't like to, to call these books mine aside from the, the idea of making sure I'm compensated for the work. But aside from that, I knew this, this book came from a place that was from the beyond. And it only comes when I'm on a typewriter. Um, I can't say it only comes when I'm on a typewriter, but it, it comes in such an easy, mystical, beautiful way the entire time when I'm on it. On the computer, there are these moments that I have where I say, aha, okay, that's great. You know, nice twist, or I, I really like that. But it's more like practice. And when you're on the typewriter, you're in it. It's, it's a totally different experience. And so I found myself, by the end of that book three, really finding catharsis. I talk about it a lot, but having to go through a painful situation and overcome it requires this transmutation to reach catharsis and that these cycles are normal. You know, the more intensified they are in life, the more difficult and challenging it is to be perceived as normal. But as long as you understand what it feels like to be in both situations, it's hard to stop the thrill seekers. You know what I mean? Speaking of this idea of us all jumping out into the the sky and falling down and having to figure out a way to make it alive, you know? It's a thrilling thing that if you survive, you want to do it again. And it's hard to explain to people unless you've experienced it. And that was the experience I had on the typewriter with these novels. A very special experience. And so now I want to give you um, another sample, another chapter from this book, the first book, Fear on Sale, from the Quarantena series, and talk a little bit more. I hope you enjoy. Chapter 1. Fear kills. That's what I told her via text message. There's no other form, supposedly, not in this world that pumps us full of it. Shit is what I call it. All of this, born into existence for some higher purpose that none of us, or should I say, few of us, see in this moment, and that's fine with me. Strange to see a line to get into the supermarket. Last time I saw something like this was in the old black and white Great Depression microfiche collections from the libraries of old. Some strange old time that everyone said would never happen again because we are the greatest country in the world. It was a time when we believed everything this country told us just because. And that type of belief is powerful. It tells you to raise your right hand to the heart and recite words of patriotism. It subsequently tells you to swish and spit fluoride for the health of your teeth. And today, at this moment, right now, it is telling everyone to hashtag Quédate en casa. And I just keep my head down, because this is 2020, but it feels like 1984, and I'm a very dangerous man because of the ideas in my mind. I've only told the select few the following, because I don't want to invite problems into my life. I don't want any more issues than the ones that have to do with mere survival and the survival of my family and loved ones. Speaking of that, you are my family. If you're listening to this, it's a message for you because it concerns you if you think that buying two months worth of toilet paper 
hand sanitizer, and canned goods is going to magically deliver you to the golden age, you unfortunately are on the wrong train. This one you are on is en route to delivering certain death. It sounds harsh, I know, but I would rather tell you the truth. The world is about to be a much less populated space, and I never wished for it to be this way. So I went to the supermarket yesterday. I bought only food that had viable seeds in it, and I tell you, do the same, because even for the folks that I love who are far away in New England, even they have a chance to replace their manicured lawns with viable food. Chapter 8. Saturn's Brow Sure, I'll admit it. I called upon that one, the demon. The one that I had surrounded by angels before rounding him up and putting him to work. I was told the demon wouldn't mind, and I slowly understood that this wasn't necessary. No sort of spell would be needed to manifest ease of life, for there was no one with the same intentions waiting in line at the offices of heaven. And I must say, it makes me sad to cut the line and walk under the railings direct to the universe to tell him or her that I am ready to receive and find that there is absolutely zero weight right now. Offices are open while the ones with fear in them are bottlenecked and stopped up, and I'm on the beach. The thing is, I have the power to manifest ease of life, and now it is easier than ever. But I also call upon every angel and demon that I know, and they are all adjusted and working together now because the consequence of not working together is the end of all things we have genuinely come to love, namely, our freedom. Now that all forces are rounded up for the similar cause, special abilities come forth, like the one that cleared the streets of a city that nearly has the combined populations of New York and Los Angeles. So I tell people, be cognizant with your words. They act as spells in this digital day and age. You must be careful with that which exists to fool you, and you must take care of your mind and the words that come from it. I ask you to take joy in the process. Once you see the innate power you have and the power that comes from exercising it, you will nod and be on your way to brighter days. This fear you see on sale costs your freedom. It costs your savings. It costs your life. It's not worth it. You are worth more. That is why I have arrived, on behalf of a simple man, to educate the world. So we just listened to chapter 8, and the title is Saturn's Brow. And... It's funny because this recording that I'm doing right now in anticipation of providing commentary for chapter 8, I haven't actually edited the audio recording. I'm looking at it right now in audacity, saying to myself, it needs to be edited and put into this podcast before midnight. So I've got three hours to get this all done. This is the way I like to live. When I was in college, this is what I used to do with my papers. I would see how long I could possibly procrastinate until the very last moment. And when I finally got a hang of that and getting it done and the thrill of having a sleepless night, having to stroll into class still jittery from having to shake myself awake all the time in the morning, those papers were my best. I got the best grades on those papers because you're really living in the thick. I think about also, I'm recalling now when I was in, I was at my first college, I was 18 years old. This was at Eastern Connecticut State University back in 1996, fall of 96. Or maybe it was spring of 97. Yeah, it was spring of 97. And I did fairly well first semester. Second semester, I pledged for a fraternity (laughs) and everything starts to go downhill from there. Pledging was a nightmare. It was filled with uh, rather uncomfortable situations, and that's to be expected as a pledge, especially back then. It was more 
animal housey than certainly it is now. I've seen chapters close for much less than what I endured. And that's all good. I'm actually grateful for the experience. It was the closest thing to being in the military that I had ever experienced. And I felt like I earned my, my stripes, so to speak. One of those experiences came in the, one of the last days. We were uh, told that we had to organize Skittles by color. I'll never forget this. And so we're organizing them and, uh, you know, everything is just about there. And then suddenly a brother from the fraternity falls into the piles. You know, he's been drinking. And this is, of course, scripted. Everything goes everywhere. All the Skittles are all mixed up. And then they say, okay, now we're going to tie your hands behind your back and you're going to have to organize them with your nose. And so then after about, I'd say, 30 minutes of getting it done, they finally do it again. And, and that's the point when most of us say, hey, we're, we're going to quit. You know, this is it. Fuck this. I'm not going to do it anymore. This is bullshit. You know, this is a fucking ruse. This is a joke. I'm out of here. You know, and there's always an, an end to it, but you don't know. It comes as a surprise. And that's the process of living in the moment. And when you're on a typewriter, this, the same thing happens. I, you know, my best performance in theater happened just after that day that I mentioned to you. I actually had rehearsal in the evening for a play. It was The Cave Dwellers. And, um, man, I went into the, to that rehearsal exhausted. Just fucking out of it. You know, I'd been through a lot of shit. And I was playing this character that was a boxer in a previous life, you know, now living in a theater as a homeless man but he still had the remnants of that. And um, I had very little fight left in me. And when I hit the stage that night, they said it was my best performance. You know, I had never done it better. And that is all to be credited to the idea of living in the moment and understanding that the extremes can bring great lessons. It also can bring great pain, you know, and uh, it can also bring great joy. So, that process is a challenging one, you know, but it's why there are surfers, it's why there are skydivers, and it's why there are thrill seekers in this world. I just happen to, f to find my thrills in the extremes of what I write, in the extremes of how I communicate, in the extremes in, in which I challenge myself and others to be truthful. When you step out of the way as a writer and you allow yourself to just flow without any worry in the world about how you will be perceived by what you're, you're about to offer, then things go great. And I can tell you, I'm, I've never hesitated to write. I've never hesitated to try my best. And then I read On Writing by Stephen King, and my entire world changed when he was telling me that his editor, and when he edits, he eliminates 30% of his copy. I thought, wow, okay. This is a way to make my books better. I just got to chop and let these things go. And then to try to be mindful of adverbs and to try to be very picky with them and only use them when I'm trying to make a specific point. Otherwise, especially with the termination of dialogue, you'll see in my situations of writing... Most of my dialogue is just he said, she said, that's about it, unless I'm really trying to make a point. And very rarely will you see an adverb at the end of any dialogue sentence. And I took that to heart. I took to heart the importance of being truthful. I took to heart the importance of understanding that if I go in with the intention to simply create one word at a time, it would be great. I had all of that teaching that came from on writing, from Stephen King, and then I had about 15 years of being a musician and playing in front of crowds and writing songs and understanding how to refine those songs and edit those songs. And I started treating my books the same way. Every paragraph became a song. It needed to flow with a certain cadence. It needed to have an impact on the reader. And it needed to have a familiarity with the style that I was introducing before that line. And, 
it has to flow for myself to enjoy it. And when I started to treat it that way, I, I just knew that it would always come out. I knew that I would always have material because there is more joy in playing the game than simply staring at the demo screen. You know, you want to put in a quarter and play. At least that's what I learned from a very young age. I went to the arcade. No game ever intimidated me, even Tron, even though I was terrible at it. It didn't intimidate me to the point where I wouldn't want to try at least once to put in a quarter and give it a shot. And so I learned that from a very young age. My parents encouraged me to explore. And because I had no restrictions as far as my absorption of information, I found myself kind of tailoring a life of a writer, bit by bit. I could have started a long time ago. I wouldn't have such a rich <laughs> story base to choose from, you know, influences. But I certainly could have started, that's for sure. And probably would appreciate reading them now, thinking, oh, that's where I was. That's why I encourage everyone to write. So, I know I've been jumping all around, but it's all to say, it gets done if you just get on the horse and you, and you type. It just works. And you'll find that those text messages that you had with your loved one or whoever had an impact on you, that's the beginning of a story or it's a story in itself. Don't erase it. Challenge yourself to go back into it and feel it and go through the alchemic process of turning that into something beautiful for yourself in whatever form that may be. And don't think that if you're writing in macabre, it's a bad thing that you're not doing it right. You know, like Stephen King says, I go back to him. Great mentor. He says, when people ask him, why do you write in macabre? And he responded, you ask me as if I have a choice. We all have our own influences and our own gustos. We have to follow them with our heart, nurture them because it's trying to heal a part of us as writers and readers. The writer and the reader in a way are like symbionts. They, they work together. Symbiotes, symbionts, I don't know. They work together. They help one another to get from the beginning to the end where everything is recognized as best as possible to say, yeah, I read that. I can comment on that. So it was a good year. Five novels, an autobiography, and a meditation system. I can say, even more important to me than all of this is that I sell my children 35 times. There goes the refrigerator again, turning on. <laughs> Saying, yeah, you know, 35 times. If I were to tell you that I only saw them twice for a total of three years from 2017 to 2019. Yeah, it was a total of five visits in three years, 35 visits in one year. Because of the courage to move to Mexico, I'm proud of myself for making it. I'm proud of accomplishing this even during one of the worst pandemics in history. I was able to see them this many times. And when I tell you that they have changed my life, they've changed my life. And when I tell you I see their smiles brighter than I've ever seen them, it's the truth. There's so much to be said that isn't said enough about being present in your children's lives and being grateful for every single moment you have with them. Cherish it. Make it a priority over all else. Have your jokes with your little ones, those ones that you're raising. Make them laugh, roughhouse, play. Don't give up all the things that are so important for a child's development that we look at as completely invaluable 
because it doesn't have some educational component that we can measure, please do not forget to play. Do not forget the roughhouse. Do not forget to laugh. Do not forget to celebrate, to cook together, to dream, to tell stories, to go to parks. Yeah, even if they're closed, it's even better time to get out there. (laughs) So sue me. I'm telling you right now, to play is life. It's life. Don't forget it. Let that be your driving force in 2021. God knows it will be mine. I wish you all the best. I thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy the chapters to come. I hope you keep listening and reading. And I most certainly hope that you are writing. If you haven't started, go get yourself a typewriter. They're never going to exist again. They're only made for a certain time. No one's going to build a manufacturing plant for typewriters. It's done. Get yourself one that works. Put your story down on it. Make it real. Sending love to everyone. And thanks. Happy New Year. This is the Immortal Typist. Signing off. Until next time. so grateful to have this opportunity to share some of the work that had been performed and recorded. I found myself thinking I could get a lot more done in shorter time. Turns out I could only finish a few chapters before the end of the year, at least from the audio recording standpoint. But it was enough to share with you, and I hope that you enjoyed the offerings. This chapter 8 is an interesting one because it's one of the only times that Saturn directly comes forward and announces himself and uh, at least in the title of the chapter and starts to explain why he's here and I find this recurrent theme in my books where Saturn presents himself and offers lessons always he's the great teacher and the god of harvest this time of year especially being concentrated around Saturn and the festival of Saturnalia where it used to be between the 17th and 22nd, 23rd of December has a lot of similarities to Christmas celebrations in that there was the exchanging of gifts and that's the game that Saturn likes to play this sudden effect that he has on whatever society or individual to turn their life literally upside down. It could be karmic retribution, or it could be that it was time for this person to receive a windfall. And that's the part that I really enjoy when coming to chapters with Saturn and when I discover that, yeah, you know, it's time for me to write about him. And it's usually aligned with the numerology of the chapters. So you'll notice this a lot if you go through and look at the chapter names and listen to the themes. They are oftentimes directly related to specific numbers. So chapter 7 would relate to Neptune, which relates to number 7, and so on and so forth. Well, thanks again for listening and for being a part of this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do give a like and follow. And keep coming back to listen to more. I'll be sure to post more chapters of all three of the books that were recorded on audiobook performance by myself. And just to put it out there, if you wish to share some of this broadcast with someone or to offer it for download or to stream it or to just share it in any way, to please reach out to me at williamofthesun at gmail.com and just ask for permission. That's all I ask as the copyright holder of all of this intellectual property. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful new year. May blessings and removal of barriers begin starting now as we reach the turn of the hour, 
midnight strikes, and we dive into 2021. I know this is going to be a year that is challenging, but for the better, as these are the growing pains. I'm with you. You're not alone. Don't forget that. Sending love to everyone. Talk to you soon and see you on the flip side. Immortal Typist, signing out for the last time in 2020. You've been listening to The Immortal Typist, narrated and performed by William Vincent Carlton. All rights reserved. Happy New Year.